So the Ephesians chapter 6, in order to understand the context of the verses, verses 18 through 20, which we'll be considering together today. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, and let me interject a thought at this point in the way of a question. Was Paul a pessimist? He's anticipating a day of evil on the horizon. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. I repeat the question. Was Paul a pessimist? Hardly. Because we hear him write to the church at Philippi, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He was neither pessimistic nor optimistic. He was primarily a man of faith who was a realist. And he knew that we live in a world as Christians which is characterized by evil because of the presence of evil. And the forces of evil are marshaled against the church of Jesus Christ. But let me go on record today, Satan, if you're listening in, by the way. That Jesus Himself says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Now, if I'm understanding correctly, gates are constructed to defend something or to keep people in. Now, understand, we as the body of Christ have been given the responsibility to be on the offensive, not the defensive. We're not cowering in a corner somewhere, afraid of our adversary, the devil, no matter how formidable a foe he may be, and he is just that. But we have been given authority over the enemy. And we need to understand that. And we're going to win, by the way. In fact, we've already won vicariously through what Jesus Christ has done by dying on the cross for our sins, ascending to heaven after He'd been raised from the dead. That's what the resurrection is all about. It's our victory in Christ if we exercise faith in Him in this life. Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by the way, there are six sermons which could precede this one, but I'm only going to preach one today so you can relax. We get to verse 18, which is the primary text for the morning sermon. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Dynamite is the world's most valuable industrial explosive. In the U.S. alone, two and a half million pounds are detonated daily. The active explosive ingredient in dynamite is nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin is combined with chalky dirt or sawdust or wood pulp to make it safe to handle dynamite. Actually, dynamite is rather safe 
unless there's a blasting cap attached to it and it's detonated. God has given us His armor to defeat the devil. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He has given this to us. It's His armor. He's encouraged us, if not commanded us, to put on the full armor of God so that we can fight the forces of evil. However, the key to detonating or activating this armor, the key to victory, is all wrapped up in this command that the Lord gives us here in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. The idea is contained in the hymn which we sang in our early worship service, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Some of you are old enough to remember that hymn or traditional enough to remember it. The third stanza has one line in it. Put on the armor of God, put on each piece with prayer. The very atmosphere in which we dress ourselves for spiritual battle must be prayer. And that makes perfectly good sense when we remember that we have a commander, Jesus Christ. And when we pray, it puts us in touch with the commander. We need that kind of activation in our lives. So how can we activate God's armor? Well, there are two things that I believe are taught in this passage of Scripture in answer to that question. The first is this. You and I can activate the armor of God by being prayerful. Truth be told, many of us are like Linus. In a particular comic strip of Peanuts, Linus and Lucy are the featured characters. Lucy enters a room and Linus has his hands folded and he seems to be puzzling over the configuration of his fingers. And all of a sudden he looks up and he says to Lucy, Lucy, I've made an incredible theological discovery. While I am praying, if I turn my hands upside down, I get just the opposite thing I'm asking for. Now, some of you feel that way about your prayer lives. You pray and you pray and you pray, and it seems like instead of getting what you ask for, you get just the opposite of what you're asking for. Most people whom I know have a dissatisfaction with their prayer lives or in some cases, a disenchantment with their prayer lives. They're like the featured character in the blockbuster movie, Signs. Graham Hess, who had been a, an Episcopal priest. If you've seen the movie, you know. He lost his wife and God disappointed him. He was disenchanted with God. He had self taken himself out of the ministry. And in a moment that was very candid in the film, he said this to his children, as they asked him to pray in a moment of crisis, he says, I will never pray again. Never. Why? Because he was disenchanted with the way in which God had responded to him. Now, let me ask you a question. What is prayer anyway? What is it? Most people treat prayer, including Christians, as a superstitious thing. We're somewhat like Karl Marx would have said, when he called religion the opiate of the people, prayer is an aspect of that in the minds of many people. It's sort of a placebo, a spiritual placebo, a sugar pill, if you will. We give ourselves to pacify ourselves in a world that seems careening out of control. Have you ever felt that way about your life? And you pray and you feel better after you pray. You're not sure there's a God up there, but you do, in fact, feel better after you've prayed. There's another misconception about prayer. Some people treat it as if it were an act of magic. J.B. Phillips has written a little book entitled, Your God is Too Small. And one of the caricatures of God that he refers to is the caricature of God as a heavenly bellhop 
ready to jump when we say jump and just as high as we tell Him to jump. Listen, our God is a sovereign, mighty God. He is not one to be manipulated by some formula or told what to do. He is God, a very God. He is infinite and we are finite. So we need to understand when we come before this God who is in heaven, we need to understand actually who He is. Well, what is prayer then? Well, prayer, simply put, it's family talk. It's God as my Father speaking to me and me as a confident, needy child speaking back to Him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 for just a moment. This is the way in which Paul related to God as his Father. And this is the way in which we are to relate to God as our Father as well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Listen to Paul. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Jesus' favorite term for God is the term Father. So what is prayer? It's my speaking to my heavenly Father, just like a little child would speak to his earthly parent and communicating with him. This is what real prayer is. And we can activate God's armor by being prayerful. What form should our prayers take? Let's return now to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, to discover the answer to that question. Look again at verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The word which is translated prayers is the word which is the general word for prayer. And this word for prayers has to do with any kind of prayer. Adoration, confession of sin, thanksgiving to God, petitioning, asking God for certain things. Then the next word which Paul adopts here is requests. This is the word which has to do with being specific in our asking. What God expects us to do is to be specific when we pray in request of Him. He knows what we're needing, but He wants us to be specific. How should we pray? Look at verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, I know what this does not mean. It does not mean some kind of cold, formal approach to praying. It's not reciting a prayer from memory and saying it over and over and over again. It's not vain repetition because listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. I was at a camp one time, and there were 4,000 young people at the camp, and a pastor was given the assignment to open the session that we were attending in prayer. And he came up, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And he prayed and he preached a little bit in his praying. Have you ever heard preachers in their praying like that? And after the prayer was over, the guy who was the youth minister at the church where I was pastoring at the time leaned over and said, he must be catching up on his prayer life here today. You know, the length of a prayer does not necessarily reflect the genuineness of the prayer. It's not necessarily a prayer that's in the Spirit. Well, what is it when Paul talks about praying in the Spirit? Turn to Romans chapter 8. And this is the wonderful benefit, by the way, of what has been called since the day of the Reformers in the 16th century, the analogy of faith. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, one of the cardinal rules of biblical interpretation is you interpret the Bible in light of the Bible. In other words, you seek to find everything which the Bible has to say about the particular subject you have a question about, and you try to develop a systematic viewpoint or an overall viewpoint of actually what is being said. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, says this, "...in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness." 
We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Lord Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Two things emerge that are rather clear from this one verse to give us insight in what it means to pray in the Spirit. First of all, we are impotent. We're weak. We need the gracious assistance of the Spirit of God when we pray. The Spirit Himself creates the prayer within us. Look at Ephesians again, chapter 2, verse 18, to see how this plays out in our lives as we gain the assistance, the gracious assistance of Holy Spirit in praying. In verse 18 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul writes, For through Him, that is Jesus, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Part of what the Holy Spirit does, He makes the Father accessible to us. He's our intercessor along with Jesus. He puts us in touch with Jesus. Now look at chapter 3, verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. You see, the Holy Spirit generates His power within us to overcome our weakness when it comes to praying so that we can indeed pray in the Spirit. But not only does this idea of praying in the Spirit carry with it the idea of our needing His assistance, it also carries with it the idea of our needing to be under His influence. Because if you looked again, if you still had your place in Romans 8, 26, what you would see is that we are not only impotent when it comes to praying, but we're ignorant. I'm sorry. We just don't get it. And we need the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit prompts us to pray and guides our praying. When should we pray? Well, let's look again at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Isn't it wonderful how the Lord answers any question we have about any subject right from His Word? Isn't it great? Look at verse 18. And pray in the Spirit when? On all occasions. The word which is translated occasions means every God-given opportunity. At the fit time. At just the right time. Every incident, by the way, every event of life is to be dealt with in prayer. Each time you feel the urge to pray, pray. Who put the urgency in your spirit to pray? Holy Spirit put that desire in your heart to pray. So what you and I need to do is to be responsive to every suggestion in our spirit to pray because we can count on the Holy Spirit to have put it there. When a name occurs to you, pray. When an unusual situation arises in your life, pray. Dreams may even be an occasion for praying. Two weeks ago, last night, probably was in the wee hours of Sunday morning, I had a dream. I was awakened and in the dream... The subject of the dream was a man named Bill Nolan. Bill Nolan was a deacon in the church I pastored before coming here. I probably haven't talked to Bill three times in the eight years since I left that church. But in the dream, he was very troubled. And when I awoke, what I did was pray for him. I didn't know what his need was, but I prayed for him. Of course, I came to Sunday. Worship services was busy most of the day. came home after I'd gotten settled down a little bit, I picked the phone up, I looked Bill's number up, and I called him. And after we exchanged greetings, found out a little bit about what was going on on the surface of each other's lives, I asked Bill, I said, Bill, I need to share something with you. May I share something with you? He said, of course you can. I said, last night I had a dream, and in the dream you were troubled. You were very troubled. He said, well, Mike, a little over a week ago I had a heart attack. I was put in CCU for three days. It's the second heart attack it was determined that I've had. And in addition to that, Mike, 
our son, Ron, was found dead, and it was discovered he'd been dead probably for as many as eight months. And what that says to me is that the Lord never puts anybody in your mind. Let me tell you this. He never brings anybody to your mind on accident. There's always a reason. It may not be that dramatic, and that doesn't happen. I dream about a lot of things, which I'm not going to talk about today. (laughs) But occasionally, you have this sense, this burden on your heart about someone. Who puts the burden there? It's the Spirit of God guiding you in your praying, leading you to pray. What place does prayer play in your life? It's more important than knowledge or understanding because it keeps us in touch with our commander. We're to pray on all occasions. A little boy was asked by a Sunday school teacher, Johnny, do you say your prayers before eating? And he said, I don't have to. My mom's a good cook. (laughs) Evidently, he'd been to some homes of the church members where mom wasn't too great a cook. We're to pray on all occasions. So one of the ways, and the key way, quite frankly, to activate the armor of God is to be prayerful. But there's another important way that we're communicated about here in this verse. We activate God's armor by being careful also. Look at the last part of verse 18. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The phrase translated be alert has been interpreted by one translator of the New Testament this way. Never get tired of praying for all the saints. Never get tired. This is an appropriate word because it's the word for being on guard. Always be on guard. You and I are always on duty when it comes to this matter of our being intercessors for each other, praying for each other. How are we to be careful? Always, and this translates a prepositional phrase which literally means with all perseverance. The idea is that of never growing weary, never giving up. It doesn't mean we're trying to twist God's arm, but we are concerned and cannot rest until we get an answer. I like what Robert Law, the ancient divine, had to say. This is what he wrote. Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. Most of us think we have to twist the arm of God to get Him to cooperate with us. That shows a faulty understanding of who God is and of what prayer is. Because prayer is God lining us up with His will. And to be effective in praying, let me be clear what the Bible teaches. In fact, Jesus Himself says in John fifteen seven, If you abide in Me, that is, if you depend upon Me, and My words abide in you, that means the promises that I have set forth in Scripture, the things that I have promised you, if you abide in Me as you depend on Me, and you depend on the words that I have said to you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Doesn't that sound appealing to you? Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. That's a command from the Lord. But the conditions of the command are that I'm depending on Him. Precisely, I'm depending on His Word to me. Has He promised me something? Has He spoken to me about a matter? Then I can count on His doing it, and I need to persist in my praying. Ask, seek, knock. Keep on asking, Jesus says. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Hold your place there and turn to Isaiah chapter 62. We're going to look at one verse, 62.6. And God is speaking to His people in the Old Testament. And I think He would say the same thing to us today in our era. Isaiah 62.6. Listen to what God says. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. 
They will never be silent day and night. Now, the watchmen, in this case, were sentries who would circle the wall of Jerusalem to protect it against Babylon, its enemy. However, to spiritualize this, and I think I'm on solid ground in doing so, this is a picture of what we're to do as Christians. We're to participate in this process. Look at what the next word says. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Now, even the most adoring parent present this morning, the most patient parent, occasionally just says to his or her child, give it a rest. Chill. I need my space, right? You may have a particularly talkative child. Some of your children are quiet. But you may have a particularly talkative child that just all the time, just this, this, this. And you just say, cool it, shut up. I know that's not the way we're supposed to talk to our kids, but I've said that to my children before. Just shut up. I need some space. But our God says to the contrary, just the opposite. What does He say? Give me no rest. When it comes to this matter of praying, our omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God, our loving Father, says, keep on coming to me. Most people stop praying just before God's answer is about to come through. Don't give up. Whatever you're praying about in the Spirit, if you're praying with the help of the Holy Spirit, if He's giving you His aid, if He's influencing you to pray about a matter, don't give up. Pray until the Holy Spirit stops you. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just lose your inclination to pray. And if all things are right in your spiritual life, sometimes that does happen. And you can just say, well, the Spirit is no longer leading me to pray about this. Or until the Father answers you. The point is, be persistent. Now, here's another question I'd like to ask the Apostle Paul. For whom are we to be careful? Notice what he says here in the latter part of verse 18. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, I love the metaphor that Paul uses in this whole section. It's the military figure of speech. Isn't it wonderful? Putting on the armor of God, getting ready for battle because we are engaged in a battle. And I think this is what happens. Have you ever seen war movies where there's a small number of soldiers who are isolated and they're holding on for dear life? They're being assaulted and it looks like they're going to go under and all of a sudden... On the walkie-talkie, the the guy who's leading the troop, here's the radio man say, it's the CO, and the CO is wanting to speak to you. And the commanding officer says, hang on, reinforcements are on their way. Have you ever heard that? Well, I believe this is why the Spirit of God prompts us to pray for each other. Because there are people who need to be reinforced in the body of Christ. They're under attack from the enemy. And we are to assume the role as prayer warriors to reinforce, to come. And isn't it always glorious in those same movies when in fact the troops arrive in time and how they just rout the enemy? Well, that's exactly what we're to do when we are called to pray in the Spirit for all the saints. Whenever anybody comes to your mind, stop what you're doing. And it doesn't take any verbalization. It doesn't take a special posture in your heart and in your mind because our God knows our hearts and our minds. Remember, that's what the Bible says. He knows God's mind, the Spirit does. He knows our heart and He intercedes for us. Then just say, Lord, I pray for this brother in Christ. I don't know what his need is, but I pray for him. You know what her need is. I pray for her. And God, I know, is involved in that. And He responds, 
It will be wonderful when we get to the other side of this life and we look back. And I happen to believe, and this is just my own speculation, that we'll be able to look at the ways in which God intervened in our lives without our even knowing it. And we will see who the real heroes are in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. Because they will be the men and women who have been prayer warriors, who have responded properly to pray in the Spirit for brothers and sisters whenever those people come to mind. And you and I have to have that same attitude if we're going to be people who are going to be successful in doing what God has called us to do as His children. The church is like a military camp located in enemy territory. Within the camp, there is love and loyalty. Outside the camp, there is hate and hostility. What happens on one front affects what happens overall. If you know your American history, you know that the World War II, the last great war, was fought on two fronts. There were two theaters. There was the European theater. There was the Pacific theater. And the war was not over just because the European theater was settled and won. We weren't satisfied until we won a victory in the Pacific as well. What affected, what happened rather in Europe affected what was going on in the Far East. And what happened in the Far East affected what happened in Europe. Isn't this a picture of what goes on in the body of Christ? That's why we need to pray. We need to pray to avoid defection. When Jesus was with His apostles, particularly Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what He said to them. Watch and pray. Be alert and pray. Why? Lest you fall into temptation. Did they obey the Lord? Well, they probably tried. But they didn't know how to pray right then. They weren't in the Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them yet. They didn't have His presence to enable them to pray, to empower them, to guide them in their praying. And the result was that when Jesus was arrested, they scattered like a covey of quail. They were nowhere to be found. They defected. And my praying for you, and by the way, your praying for me, could quite frankly keep us from defecting. Also, we pray for all the saints to avoid defeat. And I should have said, one AWOL Christian is one too many, by the way. One too many. We also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ to avoid their defeat. We're involved in a hand-to-hand combat with the devil. We're under constant attack by the enemies of the soul, the forces that Paul speaks of in this passage of Scripture. Prayer is like guard duty. Follow me carefully. The safety of the camp depends on the watchful, careful intercession of Christians for one another. Samuel said it when he said, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. If you have an inclination to pray for me and you don't, guess what? You have sinned. And the same holds true for me. I have sinned. That's why we invite people to come and pray here on Wednesday night. We need more people to come and get on their knees before God. And we pray for people. We pray for their healing. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their sanctification. And God, I know, has answered many prayers, as has been mentioned today, on many different levels. If one Christian pulling guard duty falls asleep on the job, then the perimeter of the camp is made vulnerable, and the forces of evil have a chance to do what? When there's a break in the perimeter, what happens? We become vulnerable as a church, and in rushes the enemy. He infiltrates the camp, and it will not be long until we are defeated. So, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ to avoid defeat. What should we pray? Well, let's read a little further in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 19. 
Paul was not reluctant to ask for prayer for himself, this great apostle. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now remember, we saw this last Sunday. The Apostle Paul was in prison. He was also ill. He was sick. But there's no hint of his asking to be set free from prison or to be healed. Those questions are not on his mind. What is primary on his mind? He wants to be clear of speech and also he wants to be courageous of speech because he wants to be a good representative of Jesus Christ, an ambassador for Christ in chains. What a marvelous example this is. The word which is translated twice in this passage of Scripture, fearlessly, is the word which means plainness of speech, which hides nothing, especially in the presence of a dignitary. Earlier in this book, in Ephesians chapter 3, this is what Paul writes regarding our relationship to God the Father in prayer. In Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The word translated confidence is the same word that is translated fearlessly here. We can have confidence in the way in which we pray to the Father. We need to come boldly before Him. And that in turn will result in our praying for others and their courage and confidence will be bolstered as a result. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of how important intercessors are, people who pray for people who speak the truth. D.L. Moody probably the greatest English-speaking evangelist of the 19th century, was invited for the first time to England to preach by a tiny church. In the ten days that he preached in that church, 400 people were born again. Now, that's a pretty amazing statistic. This was not an open-air meeting with a bunch of people. But in ten days, 400 people came to faith in Christ. A little-known fact about that introduction of Moody to England, which continued, by the way, God used him mightily throughout the course of his ministry in England. A little known fact was that there was an invalid who was a member of that church. Her name was, let me find it here in my notes, Marianne Adler. And she had been reading the London Times, and in the reading of the London Times, what she had seen was a little story, a very small piece, about how God was using an evangelist named D.L. Moody in his native Chicago to win many people to Christ. And all of a sudden, in the Spirit, she began to pray. God put this on her heart to pray that God would bring D.L. Moody from Chicago across the Atlantic to her church, her little church among hundreds if not thousands of churches in London to preach the gospel. That's how he got there. She didn't write him. He got there because this little lady who was an invalid, prayed. And we feel so sorry for ourselves. Well, we don't think we can have any impact. Well, that's crazy. Because if we have the capacity to pray, which I believe everybody here does, and if we're Christians, we have the Spirit of God in us, we can listen to the Spirit of God, and we can cooperate with Him, and we can pray under His influence as He gives us insight, and God will do a mighty work. Charles Finney, the great evangelist in New York State during the 1830s, he preached for a whole year in Rochester, New York. 30,000, count them, 30,000 made professions of faith in Christ in that one year. Abel Clary, who never appeared publicly, devoted his whole day, 
12 hours a day to praying that God would bring fruit. Finney preached. Abel Clary, an unsung hero, prayed. We need to take the Apostle Paul's example in this very book of Ephesians. There are basically two prayers that he prays. You look them up on your own. One is found in Ephesians 1, beginning with verse, about verse 17, going through about verse 19. And basically he prays that the eyes of the hearts of those Ephesians would be opened. Open the eyes of my heart, the song which we sing. Open so that they could understand the things of God. I hope you understand that you and I will never have insight into the truth of who God is and who Jesus Christ is unless the veil is lifted from our eyes. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And guess who prompts us to pray for people who eventually have their eyes open? The Spirit of God does. This is not a matter of intelligence, by the way. And some of you may be here today and you think this seems somewhat plausible intellectually, this whole idea of Christianity and making Jesus my Lord. and Someone who lived 2,000 years ago totally revolutionizing my life and eventually coming back into reign and rule in the world. That seems plausible, but you know, it's just not quite intellectually acceptable. Let me tell you something. It's not about the intellect. It's about the grace of God breaking into a man's life, breaking into a woman's life, and all of a sudden pulling the curtains back, as it were, and showing that person the truth of who Jesus Christ is. This is why prayer is so important. This is why we need to pray for our loved ones who have yet to come to know Jesus. Not in any way being arrogant, but recognizing somebody must have prayed for us so that the curtain could have been taken away so that we could know who Jesus is. It's about the revelation of God in our lives. What a wonderful thing. And then later in chapter 3, the essence of the prayer that Paul prays, and it begins with verse 16, by the way, the essence is that we would be empowered to know just how much we're loved. The gist of what Becky's song was. Just how much we are loved by God. The love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And that has a tremendous effect on us. We need to pray these kinds of prayers for each other. Paul gives a prayer in the book of Philippians. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's worth our memorizing these prayers, by the way, so we can pray them for each other. This is If there's any praying in the Spirit that I ever do, it's when I pray these prayers of the Apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, to record them. When I pray them for you, and I have prayed them for many of you before, I'm praying in the Spirit. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And God will answer those prayers. We need to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul. John Knox, who was the great Christian reformer of Scotland in the 16th century, said, this was his prayer, O God, give me Scotland. And I can't say it the way he did. I wish I had that brogue. Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. His reputation of being an effective intercessor was so marked that the Catholic Queen of England, known as Bloody Mary, said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than she feared an entire army. Do you know the way we can change the world? We have the power... In this little body of believers, we have the power to transform the world, but we have to learn to pray in the Spirit before that happens. Pray in the Spirit for all the saints, all the saints. Most of us pray on some occasions with some kinds of prayers, 
with some kinds of requests, with some degree of perseverance for some saints. But what we should do is aim to be like the Apostle Paul. Let's look at the verse again, Ephesians 6.18. But pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that You would make us prayer warriors so that we can activate the armor of God. Help us to realize that we're never off duty when it comes to our obligation to guard the camp known as the body of Christ through prayer. Help us to be so in love with You, Lord, that we're in love with each other and we lift each other up whenever a name comes to mind, Lord, that we immediately respond by praying for that brother or sister in Christ. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.